0: You're listening to Digging Deep, understanding the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers' Sacramento District, the show that tries to simplify what the district does. So the Sacramento District is what we call a full-service district. It's, it's unique in a lot of ways.
1: Floods of record are the biggest storm you've ever seen in the recorded history of the
0: region. I mean, the last thing you want is to have um, water starting to seep through a levee or a dam number one thing for us is really people. We can't get it done without our people.
1: Welcome to Digging Deep. My name is Rick Brown and I'm your host. Our guest for this episode is the commander of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Sacramento District, Colonel James Hondura. Colonel Hondura assumed command of the Sacramento District in July 2019 And in doing so, he commands an organization of roughly 1,100 engineers, scientists, and support staff working in all or parts of eight western states. In fact, the district is one of the largest in the Army Corps of Engineers, responsible for more than 2 million acres and 300,000 miles of waterways with an annual budget of more than $500 million. Colonel Hondura joins us today to give us a little primer on the Corps of Engineers and to help us understand the Sacramento District's role in supporting the public. Let's get right to it. Colonel, thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's start out by talking about the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers kind of as a whole. Can you explain to us what USACE is?
0: Yeah, so you know, USACE is is part of the Permanent Army Organization. Uh, It was founded in 1802 by President Thomas Jefferson. And uh, really, the mission of the Corps of Engineers is delivering vital engineering solutions in collaboration with our partners to secure our nation, energize our economy, and reduce disaster risk. And with that, uh, the Corps of Engineers is about 34,000 strong. Approximately nine, 90% of that is, is Department of Army civilians, and about 10% of that is is active uh, or uniform military personnel, uh, led by a uh, chief of engineers, a three-star Lieutenant General uh, Spellman is our current chief of engineers.
1: So it's an army organization, but 90% civilian.
0: That's correct. So it's, it's, it's unique in a lot of ways because of the composition of civilians and, and uh, Department of Army civilians versus, uh, uniformed military, but also our, our mission sets and, uh, how we do, uh, how we do our mission sets. Normal army units, even with Department of Army civilians, those units that have Department of Civil- are, are typically, uh, fully funded throughout the year. They're given a certain amount of money and then they have to live within that budget, whereas the Corps of Engineers at the district level, and in some cases at the division level or higher headquarters, they're project-funded, meaning that Congress uh, would authorize a project and then appropriate funds for the project, and then that is money is then provided to the Corps of Engineers and the districts to execute that project, and they have to use that funding to, to provide for the uh, labor dollars and and the project itself and the oversight of that project. So we're what we call a project funded organization, particularly at the district level. And that's different from the, the Army, uh, a bigger Army, if you will, whereas they're typically given a certain pound of, amount of money per year and they have to live within that pot of money.
1: Now, anybody who's spent a, a minute or two in the Army may be familiar with Army engineers as the guys who, you know, breach things and and build bridges and that kind of thing. What are we talking about here?
0: Yeah, so really two different parts and they work very closely together, to be honest with you. So, so military engineering is a term that you'll hear a lot. And military engineers are those engineers that have been around since back to the Roman times, uh, and probably back during the Greek, uh, army and so forth back years ago, thousands of years ago. But military engineering has, it is a, is really what you see a lot of times, uh, for military operations. And those military engineers, they you'll hear them sometimes called, called combat engineers. They are in charge with, uh, building military works, constructing bridging and communication and breaching obstacles. It's building bridges. It's, uh, it's putting in obstacles and it is working very closely with the maneuver arm of the army, the uh, infantry and uh, artillery or infantry and armor to, to allow them to accomplish the mission. So really the military engineers are those engineers that really were the precursor to what we call civil engineers or civilian engineers. In fact, for the U.S., the United States. As we mapped the West, as we went out and explored uh, after the Louisiana Purchase and, and those types of things, as, a, as we had westward expansion, Lewis and Clark and so forth, we didn't have any civilian engineers at the time. And so whereas Europe had civilian engineers and so forth, the uh, or U.S. did not have civilian engineers. We had military engineers. And so there was a school established at West Point to provide uh, civilian engineers. West Point is is really one of the first uh, institutes of higher learning to train civil or civilian engineers. But prior to that, the nation had to rely on those Army engineers that were military engineers trained in surveying and reconnaissance and map making and, and so forth.
1: So, you mentioned uh, we, we talked a little bit about USAce uh, as a whole, the enterprise, right? Uh, so where does you're the commander of the Sacramento district? Where does that fit within that organizational structure of the u s. Army Corps of Engineers?
0: Yeah,, uh, so we have uh, so the Corps of Engineers, we talked about the thirty four thousand strong approximately. Uh, out of that, the next element down from that, the next subordinate element to the to the chief engineers would be the divisions. So we have what we call divisions within the Corps of Engineers. There's nine of those divisions. And so that is typically commanded by a general officer. And in this case, my higher headquarters is South Pacific Division. There are actually five districts within that command right now. So you've got LA District, Sacramento District, San Francisco District, Albuquerque District, and we have a border district. Now, the border district obviously will be transitioning here over the next couple months, few months, and so forth based on the current administration's priorities. But at this time, the five districts and typically uh, for our civil works mission, so we have multiple missions. So the, so the Sacramento District is what we call full service district. We do uh, civil works projects that include flood risk management, dams, and so forth. We do military construction on Air Force, Army, and other instant military installations. We do work for the Veterans Affairs. We're building clinics. We do work for Department of Energy and other federal agencies. We also uh, conduct environmental remediation on formerly used uh, military sites. We do work with uh, regulatory permitting, so we do Clean Water Act permitting. We also do uh, emergency management services and real estate services. So, so out of that, we're a full-service district. But districts are typically aligned on the civil works side of the house along watersheds. So, the watershed that we're involved in with the Sacramento District is is really the Central Valley, and really in California, our our area runs from about around Redding, north of here, Redding, all the way south down to uh, just around Bakersfield. And so we've got a majority of the central valley and within that watershed, you have, obviously, as you know, the Sacramento River, the American River, and we have the San Joaquin River. And so those are the, those really are our civil works boundaries in California, but we also span eight Western states, but we're primarily in Utah, Arizona, Nevada, and California. We're based out of, uh, downtown Sacramento at this time. And we have, uh, we have about 16 construction offices throughout California, Utah, and Nevada. We have, uh, 10 operation sites and those are dams, uh, where we, we, uh, provide flood risk. And, uh, we have recreation opportunities also on those, those dam sites. And those are areas where we have park rangers. And then we have approximately five regulatory offices throughout California, uh, Nevada and Utah, where our, our folks are charged with, uh, Clean Water Act enforcement.
1: So you mentioned a lot of things there. So we, Sacramento District alone covers quite a bit. You mentioned civil works projects. You mentioned regulatory. You mentioned recreational facilities. So there's a lot under your umbrella. What do you see as the most important aspect of the USACE mission, the SPK mission?
0: Yeah. So the f- number one thing for us is really people. Our people are our most important resource, and uh, you hear that a lot. But really, that's important to me, and it's important to our leaders here in the district. And 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 I would say not only in, in division at our division, but also the entire USA enterprise. We can't get it done without our people. And our people are those department Army civilians and members of the uniform that are in our USA enterprise. That's also our partnerships, right? So we have to work very closely with our non-federal sponsors, uh, local, state, uh, and federal officials, as well as our contractor partners in the construction industry, the engineering field, and other fields to build and deliver the program. So, So number one for us is really people, and then from there, it's it's delivering the program, and we're keeping in mind how do we how do we do that, uh, keeping the cost. So we're we're always worried about cost, staying on cost, staying on budget. We want to hit our schedules, we want to maintain the schedule, we want to have a quality product, and we want to do so in a safe manner. So I'd say people number one, and then closely second to that, or interrelated, obviously, is is to deliver that program.
1: And how do you deliver on those uh, with a project? Let's say whether you're doing, you know, flood, uh, flood risk, you know, mitigation or whatever. How can you give us an example of a project where you are serving those ideals and concepts?
0: Yeah. And I'll talk briefly about how we get to that. So on the civil work side, per se, it starts really a concept, right? It's usually like a letter of intent that a local sponsor has. Hey, I want to do something. I want to do reduce flood risk. At that point, then there's a conversation with the Corps of Engineers District. Typically, we look to see if there's a federal interest in it or a federal nexus in the project. And then from there, we look to develop a, uh, an item to, to, to get approval to do a feasibility study. That feasibility study then turns into what we call a chief of engineers report if it's approved. And, uh, and then it goes to Congress and we ask for authority and appropriations to build a build that project. So it could be a levy. It could be a dam. But that's a generalized process on the civil work side of the house. For example, right now we're doing a project down in in Kern County called Isabella Dam. Now, Isabella Dam is a is a Corps of Engineers own dam. Uh, but we we noticed over the last few years, but there were some there were some hazards uh, that were affecting the dam, uh, and those are really a couple things. One of them was uh, was a, a risk of uh, overtopping. There was a risk of seismic activity because there's some active faults around that area, at least in the past. And then there were some uh, issues with um, uh, seepage issues, right? So seepage underneath the dam and so forth. So uh, project was uh, was put together to to address those hazards to reduce that list risk, risk, and uh, it, it includes a dam raise for the auxiliary dam as well as the main dam, as well as a uh, designing and construction of a labyrinth weir as part of a, a service or emergency spillway. And what that will do is it'll it'll reduce flood risk for the folks around Bakersfield area about three hundred fifty thousand plus citizens down in Bakerfield area, and uh, it, it'll lower their risk from future uh, storm and flooding events. It, it's a phenomenal project, and one of the reasons why it, it is one of the unique projects right now in the Corps of Engineers is not just because it's a dam project, but it's the fact, too, that we're actually extracting the materials that we're using to build a dam on site. So we're actually we're having to do blasting operations, we're having to do rock crushing operations, and we're having a lot of engineering and geology work that has to be done to get the right standards and the quality of rock materials. And we need different sized aggregates to be able to form those uh, features of the dam, the raise itself. So it's one of the unique projects where we're actually mining our own materials on site and then using that to build that dam. But that, it's a real exciting project going on. And uh, this year's a big year. A lot of work to be done this year uh, with our goal to be substantially complete by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of people and homes and businesses downstream of a potential dam failure. And I think that really highlights the importance of a remediation project like that. I'm curious, Colonel, uh, and I'm going to switch gears here just slightly. From an organizational standpoint, what do you think are some of the common myths and misconceptions that you hear about USACE? And how do you address those?
0: I would say one of those that I've heard out there is that you have to be in the Army. Like, you have to join the Army as a soldier to build a serve in the Corps of Engineers. And that's not the case. You could come in as a as, as having no military experience out of college. Uh in fact we have uh intern programs for folks that are still in college. For those recent graduates, we have other uh, higher authorities. And so folks don't have to have any military experience. They don't have to join the army as a soldier. And so sometimes you'll hear that. But I think that's that's one of the things is a misconception out there, is that uh you have to join the army, you wear a uniform and you know, do physical training every day and go to the rifle range and and all these kind of things, right, is is uh is part of that. But that that's not the case. Uh, like I said, we got you know ninety percent of the of the team is probably Department of Army civilians, and maybe ten percent of the overall team is is uh, uniform uh, soldiers.
1: So here's the question for you, then. This is the the chicken or the egg question, right? For you, you know, which came first, being or wanting to be an engineer or a soldier? Which came first for you?
0: I would say, uh, you know, I've kind of been uh, drawn to engineering. I, I, was in, uh, I'm from Florida originally and I, uh, I went into the Navy reserves, the Seabees, which is an engineering branch of the Navy, kind of, kind of like combat engineers in a reserve capacity. And then, uh, I had an opportunity to, uh, go active duty army. I made a transition, nothing against the Navy and I uh, <laughs> got a lot of respect for what the Seabees do, but I, uh, I, uh, went active duty army and I, uh, as a combat engineer enlisted. And I had an opportunity to go to Germany. And this was during the Cold War. Uh, it was still going to Germany. So you still had the wall was up and behind the uh, Warsaw Pact and so forth. So so that was combat engineering. And what it drew me to that was a challenge and problem solving and uh, being part of a team. And so I would just tell you that uh, folks are always looking to the engineers, whether you're a civilian or, or a uniform person in the engineering, to solve problems. For the core engineers, obviously, we solve the nation's toughest problems. So,
1: what piece of advice would you offer to a young person um, considering a career in either engineering or in the military?
0: Yeah, I'd say uh, I would say you know, really, the sky's a limit. And first, I would I recommend uh, military service. Uh, I, I'm going on; I've got about roughly thirty years, give or take, of service to the army. I'm still enjoying what I'm doing, and uh, I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I wouldn't have done it different, to be honest with you. But I, I recommend either track. I, I you know, I think it's great that folks. Uh, serve in the military in some capacity whether it be active uh, service, National Guard or Reserve, and pick the branch you, you like the most. Uh, plenty of opportunities out there within the Department of Defense. but I also look for folks maybe that, that that's not your uh, cup of tea to look to go to the civilian route and we have, like I said before, we had we've got multiple pathways to be part of the Corps of Engineers. We even have intern programs where folks are in school still of getting their college degree. We have uh, we also have what we call direct hire authorities for recent graduates. And then we have folks that have been maybe out in the job uh, force for for many years, maybe a little more of an a experienced person or mid-career individual. And, we, and we're always looking to hire those folks. So, really, I have to tell you, the Sacramento District is continuing to hire. Our program is uh, continuing to be a very large program across all our portfolios. And we're always looking for talented folks.
1: Yeah, it's great advice. Is there somebody in your life, you know, any time in the past that really had a big impact on on your life and career?
0: Yeah, I'd say my father. I mean, uh, my father is, uh, uh, you know, obviously a lot of respect for him, and he was re- he he served in the navy during the fifties. He did about four years of service, and uh, you know, every so often he would talk to me about his service when I was growing up. And then when he when he came off active duty navy, he joined the fire department and retired after about twenty eight years as a firefighter. And so I always had a lot of respect for him in terms of service uh, to the nation and to the citizens by him being part of the Navy and then later as a firefighter. And so uh, uh, really uh, respect him for, you know, what he did in terms of uh, uh, personal service and, and service to his fellow citizens at, in, in different capacities.
1: Is there a favorite book or maybe a favorite author that you have, or that's sitting on your nightstand that, that you would share with folks?
0: I uh, subscribe to uh, reading, you know, reading as in terms of, it's important for my position, right, in the military. And so I look at history. I'll look at military history. I'll look at, uh, you know, history of the United States and, and the world and so forth. And just a couple of things that are out there right now that I'm looking at are um, I just got done reading uh, the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. And that's a that's a very interesting insight into his time before the Civil War and during the Civil War. And as really ended up being the overall leader of, of uh, the Union army. And so Ulysses S. Grant is a good one. I uh, just started reading Diplomacy by Henry Kissinger and it really talks about the history of diplomacy throughout the world and statescraft. You know, fascinating, built a book uh, published in, in the nineties. The uh, another one out there is uh, that I've read previously. It's been some time is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And Marcus Aurelius was an emperor of Rome and he talks about, uh, Stoicism and in, uh, public service and so forth. And it's an interesting book on, on philosophy. And, uh, there's another one that I, that's on my list. And that's, uh, we talked about recently in a, a couple forums with the Corps of Engineers. And one of those, it's called Radical Candor. And it's a book about, you know, being, you know, having candor with folks. You, you, you want to you certainly have empathy and, uh, you want to understand where folks are coming from, but you also want to have some candor with folks, right? And say, Hey, here's maybe things you're doing well and things maybe you can improve on.
1: What if you can finish this sentence for me, sir? If you remember nothing else about the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, remember this:
0: I'd say uh, you know we're, we're, we're dedicated. It's a highly disciplined uh, team uh, that, that that you can count on to save the nation's toughest challenges. Excellent. Familiar
1: with the uh, Proust questionnaire? The what? The Proust questionnaire. Marcel Proust was a French writer in the early 1900s. Uh, who put together a series of questions, kind of the if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be uh, kind of question, okay, right? yeah, yeah. okay um yeah, so he he believed that in answering some of these kinds of questions that that an individual reveals his or her true self, pretty harmless questions and and really just like shooting for first thing off the top of your head, you game you want to play, sure, all right, here we go, first question, this one's easy. What is your idea of perfect happiness
0: perfect happiness? I'd say spending, you know, time with, with loved ones.
1: Good. What is the quality you most like in a person?
0: I'd say, uh, I got to say two things really. So, so really it's a uh, humility, you know, just, just, well, I'd say humility. That's the main thing, right? Hey, I, I'm all for people being confident in their abilities, but I think humility is important. And that's something I try to practice every day is that, uh, you know, just being a humble a person is, is it comes a long way. Uh, to me, that's my kind of my thing is being humility is important.
1: Yeah, I like that. Which talent would you most like to
0: have? Uh, I'll say, play, you know, the ability to uh, read and play music. But I, I don't I've never learned how to play, you know, a, a, an instrument. So like a guitar or other musical instrument and be able to read, uh, you know, sheet music.
1: And which genre would you like to play? Or would you just want to play them all?
0: Well, I, I like uh, you know I like a little bit of everything. I, I I do like jazz because the uh, the improvisation piece of jazz, and so you look at uh, you know all those great uh, folks like Miles Davis and uh, Alan Toussaint and even uh, Wentmore Sellis and others. But you know the timing and the we'll call it freestyling. But when jazz m- m- musicians get together and uh, it's not always scripted, right? It's it's improvisation and they play off each other. To right. play up each other in terms of how they're playing their instrument, the particular instrument. And, they're, and, they're, and to me, they're talking to you, right? They're having something to say with how they're doing that. It would, it's just fascinating to me. And it's something that I would like to be able to do, you know, play for, us we'll say the guitar uh, as an example, but being part of that and, you know, being into uh, you know, improvisation.
1: Yeah, cool, cool. All right. Last question. And this one may be the most important. So make sure you're thinking about this one. Who is your favorite superhero?
0: Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of them out there. Um, <laughs> uh, I like, uh, I'll go with, I'll go with, uh, Batman, right? Is he count Batman? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up watching, uh, you know, the 1960s, uh, Batman, Adam West, right? Adam West and, and the kids. And, and, uh, he, you know, kind of he had, he went through some struggles, right? Parents are, you know, fictional thing, but his parents are murdered and he's having it, you know, he's trying to do things. He's trying to, right, take care of the citizens, right, of Gotham City, if you will. And, and uh, and do the right thing. And he's got a lot of neat gadgets, right? I mean, he's got a neat looking car. He's got all the, uh, different, uh, apparatus he can use to climb or fly or so forth. So I'll, I'll go with Batman in terms of, uh, just what he stands for and taking care of folks and and where he came from. He had to get, you know, fight through adversity. His parents, uh, were, were murdered and, and, uh, and then going from there and then and, and trying to do good for uh, mankind and public service in a way.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think I think Marcel Proust would approve of that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Colonel James Hondura, District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Sacramento District. Sir, thanks for taking some time to join us here this morning.
0: Appreciate your time, Rick, today. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, I just just real uh, honored to be part of the Sacramento team, the Corps of Engineers here. Uh, I really just want to uh, just just thank. Uh, we've got about 1140, 1150 odd employees at the Sacramento District, but. I'm really impressed with uh, what our team has done over the last year, continuing to deliver the program, doing it safely, while having to navigate through the COVID-19 pandemic. And I know it's been a stress on every individual, whether you have children or not, whether you live alone or not. Uh, But our teammates have been had the stressors on them, but yet they've continued to produce, they've continued to deliver the program. And they've done so working with our contractor partners and teammates and have done so without really missing a beat, and they've done it and, and uh, continue to deliver quality projects and um, mindful of cost, staying on cost, staying on schedule, and doing it in a quality manner with, with uh, safety in mind. So thank you.
1: Many thanks once again to Colonel James Hondura for joining us today on Digging Deep. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and let us know what questions you have for us. We might just answer them in a future episode.